Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Oh my gosh, every week, these last 50 some weeks, we've been like, oh, we got something new. We have like a new camera we bought, or we got like a new chair we bought, or we got my new little thingy right here, my lectern. And we were like, this week we got humans, amen? We got people in the building, it's fascinating. So thank you guys for being the first group of people to come. We know that uh, for, for others uh, of, the, of you out there, we know that it can just feel challenging to be in this moment. Um, so we don't think that these people are courageous and you're not courageous. We just think that, you know, there's a, there's a reality of being in community, of just being with people that we all need. And so you guys are the first wave of people, and we're so appreciative of you of coming out. But we pray that for those of you that are out there, that you also uh, at some point register and come. Because I can tell you, and I was in the back worshiping, I was like, there's like 40 people in here. It feels like 40,000 right now. Because, I mean, and honestly, I don't think it's about the amount of people. I think it's the presence, right? It's, it's, it's the presence of the Spirit, but it's the presence of the people being around one another and being fully attuned to what God wants to do. So honored you all are here with us. I uh, want to make you aware we do, uh, as I mentioned, Pre-March Act <clears throat> is the justice ministry of our church. Uh, this Thursday, 3 p.m., we always meet the third Thursday of the month at 3 p.m. So we want to make you aware we'd love to have you out there. Um, the link will be in our Bridge Church app. In about a week or two, we'll be uh, selling sweatshirts. Those sweatshirts go to funding those coalitions. I have a Charles Octavius Booth sweatshirt. He actually, Charles Octavius Booth, actually created a a theology book uh, in the late 1800s. It was called Theology for Plain People. So he wanted to turn slaves into theologians, right? And so um, one of the things is is that when we wear a sweatshirt like this, we are already telling people that we're merging anti-racism with our Christian history, that the black church church was built out of fighting for justice, all right? So uh, we'll have, we have an Ida B. Wells coming out, a Fannie Lou Hamer, um, a Freddie, the Freddie one is hot too, boys. Anyway, so uh, you guys will enjoy that. All right, we're, we're jumping back into a series in the book of John, and so that's what we're gonna be in for the next few weeks, and as we jump back into that, we encourage you to continue to read your word and check us out. Right now, we're in John chapter 11. Now, when I say jump back in, what I mean is last year around this time, we were in the book of John, and then a pandemic hit, and then people were like, oh, we're racist, so we had to do a whole series on racism, and then, uh, and then, and then we had to do all these, we had to do a series on mental health, and then, and I was talking to Mark, our worship leader, and I was like, yeah, we're going to jump back into John. He was like, jump back in, dog, we haven't been in John a whole year. I was like, oh, I forgot. So if you want to see the other series, the other like sermons uh, of this, you can go to our website, same series called Proclaim, but it goes back to this time last year when we were preaching on it. Well, it is Valentine's Day, amen, for those of you that are valentined, amen, and um, for those of you that are in a relationship, I'll say this, um, I had a lot of premarital counseling to do this year. People just decided, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's make this the year. So we had about 14, 15 people get engaged or married last year from our church. And uh, so I had to do a lot of premarital 
counseling. And uh, one of the things that I told people and I tell people now is, have you ever done something and after you did it, you thought to yourself, why did I just do that? Why did I do that? And then, then like you, there's also not just like something you did once, there's things inside of you go, why do I do that? It's just like, oh my gosh, I just, I cannot figure it out. You are still learning you. You're still discovering you. What I tell couples is, think about this. You don't know you enough, do you? Like you have to take some time to learn yourself, to understand yourself. You gotta sit down and write down and ask yourself what was going on inside of me to understand the complexity of your humanity. One of the things I tell couples is, I know you guys don't fully get each other because you still don't know you. You're discovering yourself. Moms, you're discovering your children as you get frustrated with them. They're still, you're still learning them. You're still discovering them. Couples and families are learning the complex nature of other people. And so the reality is, is that if it's tough to discover children and spouses, that means we're on a great journey to discover the God-man, Jesus, to fully understand him, to fully understand the intricacies of who Jesus is. It's good for us to pause and realize that in a marriage, the relationship gets stagnant when people think they know each other already. They lose the intensity. So it is true with our relationship with God. If you box Jesus in, if you don't go on the long process, the long journey of discovery with Jesus, you'll lose the intensity, the passion, of who he is. You don't know Jesus enough. And it's through trial and moments. It's through long days of trying to understand what did he mean in this text? What did he mean by that moment? Trying to understand your past and have Jesus help you reflect on all of what you have been through. In the book of John, there's kind of a central text that is important to understand. In John 20 and 30. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So notice that the goal of this book, part of it is for you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But Jesus could have done that simply by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. If it was just getting to understand his deity, he could have just done one miracle. But notice what the second part is. Believing you may have life in his name. So there is a fullness to understanding who Jesus is, the the many intricacies, like a diamond, you are able to turn, turn, and see all the different shapes and sizes, the beauty of that diamond. In the same way, looking at the life of Jesus, You look at the various miracles, the statements, the the, the corpus of the text to understand who he is. We are going to look at a text today at a group of people that kind of boxed Jesus in because they thought they knew him. And Jesus had to create a whole new category of understanding for them to know him. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, reads this way. Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. 
It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This is such an interesting text. Mary and Martha are pretty famous in the Bible. In fact, where it says there about the ointment, that actually happens in chapter 12, but the author John felt it was important to acknowledge that this is who they are. In other words, that was probably a famous moment that people knew about. He writes about it in more detail in chapter 12, but he acknowledges it here in chapter 11. This is also the Mary and Martha in the book of Luke that, you know, Martha's the one that gets up and is always cleaning and doing stuff, and Mary's the one that sits the side of Jesus. There's something very powerful in this story that is unique. Jesus did things for his disciples. There was a time when he allowed fish. He did a miracle of having fish go into the net. There was also a time Peter's mom was sick, his mother-in-law, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. But none of those things happened via request. This is the only time in the Bible Jesus gets a request from a friend. We could call it a friend request. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, it's the first time I've seen people. I'm, I'm struggling. That's the first time he's seen, he's, I mean, think about that. Think about it. And everybody who he did miracles for were strangers to him. When the woman goes and gets at the, at the hem of his garment, he didn't know her. When he healed the 10 lepers, they, they didn't know him. This is the first time that somebody walks up to Jesus and is going to give a request based upon the intimacy we already have. I know Jesus. I, now, now listen, I know Jesus. We've sat down. Now I'm not talking about what a friend we have. Not that kind of friend. I'm saying we eat. We spend actual time. They were friends with Jesus. And not only were they friends with Jesus, but they were prominent. They were rich because one thing to notice in the detail of the text, it says, so the sisters sent to him. <laughs> the sisters had a messenger go tell Jesus. They didn't actually go. This was an indication of their prominence, of their influence, and of their affluence. So here we have these sisters. They send this message, and the, the key is our brother is ill. And the other thing to note is that they, they said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The word there, love, is the word we get for friendship love. Jesus, your friend Lazarus is ill. Notice the messengers don't say, heal him. The messengers don't say, come back with us. The messengers don't even really make a request. They just make a statement. In other words, it was as if the women told the messenger, listen, if you just say the he know Lazarus, he know Lazarus, he been known Lazarus. Just, just tell him Lazarus is sick. He gonna come, he gonna do something, cause he know Lazarus, you see? They've got a relationship. So they figure we could appeal, just tell him it's the Lazarus who he loves, our brother. And then you've got to also set the atmosphere of knowing this. 
At that time, you know, there, there's not many medicinal responses. There's not many doctors available. And if there was a doctor available to heal, they had the money to heal them. If it's gotten to this point, illness for them means death. What they really mean is, go tell Jesus our brother's about to die. Because illness at that time was a death sentence. And so here you have these sisters who just know Jesus is going to come through. And to even heighten the moment, in verse 4 of chapter 11, when Jesus heard this, he hears what this messenger says. He says to them, the illness does not lead to death. Say that with me. The illness does not lead to death. Well, now what would you do if you heard that from Jesus? If you were a messenger and you went up to Jesus and you said, hey, Lazarus, the one you love who is sick, you know, and Jesus says, hey, the illness does not lead to death. I would think, what? It doesn't lead to death. We good? He goes on to say it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But they probably forgot that part. The illness does not lead to death. Jesus would actually not come with them down. Jesus didn't move a muscle. He didn't walk with them back there. But you got to understand in John chapter 4, there was a man who had a son who was sick. He comes to Jesus and he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Your son will live. The man goes, he goes back, and his son is alive. That happened in John chapter 4. Word spread, he don't got to be there to heal. And he, he said the illness doesn't lead to death. So I got, so the messengers are walking back, and they're probably ready to walk into a miracle. They're probably expecting Jesus, you're going to do for me what you did for others. Because a few chapters ago, you remember how you did that for them? I know you're going to do it for me. And something very powerful happens. In verse 6, it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus stayed two days longer. Now, when it comes to this journey, most likely Jesus took him, a, took him a while to get there. Lazarus is dead for four days, so most likely the messenger went there back in the day, and Jesus stays two more days, and then it takes him a day to get there. So by the time they got back, the brother is most likely dead, and then two more days of agony and two more days of grief. Two more days of confusion and two more days of unbelief. Two more days of pain and two more days that Jesus knew you're disappointed in me. Because all they heard was the illness does not lead to death. Two more days. Jesus delays the miracle he's about to do. There is actually some significance historically in this delay. Jesus understands Jewish mysticism. 
At that time, it was believed that the body would hover around, the soul rather, would hover around the body for three days. So there was a chance for three days. But the presumption is the fourth day, the body would decompose. And in the decomposition, it was pretty clear they're dead. Jesus waits two more days to make sure he's dead, dead. <laughs> dead and gone. Good and dead. <laughs> hmm? No hope. You don't believe anything else will happen. They, as far as you can hear about it, this guy is gone. He waits two more days. Oh, so confusing. The illness doesn't lead to death. Is that not what Jesus said? But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus said in John eleven four, 4, the illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. And it goes on to say, so that the Son of Man might be glorified through it. Another way Jesus could have said it is, the illness does not lead to death, but it does lead to my glory. <clears throat> In the gospel, the word glory essentially is referencing Jesus' self-revelation, a way he wants to be understood. In other words, when Jesus says, I want to glorify myself, he's saying, I'm going to put another attribute of mine in the display case so that I'm understood, so that I'm experienced, so that I'm known. Jesus being glorified in this moment, based upon what we know about him in the book of John, is that up until this time, Jesus is known as Jesus the healer. But by the end, he'll be known as Jesus, the resurrector. He hadn't put that in the display case yet. They didn't know that about him yet. They still didn't know Jesus enough. There were more tools in his tool shed. He had more attributes than they could imagine. He was able to do things their mind had not conceived of yet. But he had to put them in the position to see the miracle. That's why the two-day delay. In other words, they had to delay to see him do something new. Somebody knows I'm preaching today, amen? <laughs> he has to bust through our categories because we have categories built from experience. We have categories built from humans. And we can't help but inject human tendencies on God. And when, in our categories, when humans delay, it generally means disinterest. Huh? Huh? Did you go into the emergency room one time? You asked why they put the word emergency in front of it? Huh? <laughs> I had this thing called a cluster headache. It's a horrible headache. I didn't know what it was. I was playing basketball with my friends eons ago, praise the Lord. I was hooping. And I, I was in so much pain. And I was like, oh, I got it. I pulled over and I ended up going to this hospital. And I walk in there. I'm like, oh, my head. I'm like, oh, I got to see something. Oh, 
The woman was like, fill this out, okay, over there. Run. Why aren't you matching my urgency? You ever walk into a fast food restaurant? You're like, I gotta get something real quick. And somebody's over there, Tisha, you stupid. You stupid, stop. I got a customer, oh my gosh, stop. How you doing, welcome. You're like, oh my gosh. We're waiting for you. You see, whenever we see delays when it comes to humans, it's, it shows disinterest, but when God delays, it shows divine purpose. You see, what we don't understand is that God's divine purposes supersede human sentiment. We believe that God will move by sentimental value, that he will see my emotion, he'll see my pain, and he'll react and respond because he has sentiment. Parents, those who will be parents, those who dream of being parents. Let me give you a commercial break. Free advice. How do you spoil a child? Respond to every emotion. This is why my wife's a better parent than I am. The baby will be like, ah, ah, ah. And my wife will have her headphones on like, and so I say to you, Father, because I need you. And I'm like, honey, 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 why don't you take the headphones off? The baby's crying. She's like, I know. And so the father needs you, right? Because, listen, my wife's ways are higher than their ways. Her thoughts are higher than their thoughts. And she knows I will not respond and react because I'll spoil you and you'll think you're the parent. So I've got to delay. I've got to pull back and you got to trust me. I'm your mother. I've fed you every day. I give you snacks all the time. You're going to be okay. Back to my headphones. You see? We have to understand that Jesus loves us enough to move by sovereignty, not sentiment. He has a plan. And every delay you've ever had, I know it's Valentine's Day, every delay you've ever had has been coded in divinity, has been built out of purpose, and was not a mistake. He's not like us. Oh, but he likes us. He cares for us. He knows us. He's different than us, though. Verse 20, um, actually verse, verse 17, Jesus ends up deciding to go down after two days. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, note, this is another indication that they were affluent because normally people would gather just in their family, but there were many people who gathered to see them. 
This was a sign that they not only had people, but um, people like friends and family, but more times than not, when someone was grieving, they would pay for a professional mourner. Because the way that the Jews would mourn is they would have a 30-day period of mourning. But the first seven days, all the family, friends, and professional mourners would come and sit with you and grieve. Now that says something about how they understand how to do grief. They think it's incomprehensible. They pay people to not grieve alone. Some, some, and you know, I, I think I could have done that. I think I could have been a professional mourner. I would have like weep with those who weep ministries and I would just be like, do you, and I would ask, I would have like categories of how do you want me to cry? You want an ugly cry, a silent cry? I would do all that. But the reality is, is that they would have people come. And so here they are grieving. And it says in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She didn't send a messenger this time. She went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now, if you again, if you go to the book of Luke, you'll see their personalities. Martha's the one that's more active. Mary's the one that's, you know, calm. <clears throat> but listen to what Martha says to Jesus. And I want you to feel the weight of it. Martha runs up to Jesus and says, Lord, <clears throat> if he had been there, my brother would not have died. You feel the weight of that? I was waiting for you. If he had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. I thought we were friends. I thought if I send a messenger... I even told them that you loved him. If he had been there, he wouldn't have died. I, I had so many expectations of you, Jesus. I had so many hopes and dreams. And, and, and I'm not like one of these people that run up off the street. We've had time together. You've cried with me. We've talked. We have a relationship. And I thought, after all that we've been through, You'd come through now because one of the greatest aspects of being disappointed in Jesus is when you want something you know he wants. This is a good thing. I'm praying for a good thing. You, want, you don't want Lazarus to die. I know you don't want Lazarus to die. You love him. Do you hear the depth of the wound? If you had been there. And as you journey with Jesus, I don't know what it is, whether it's raising a family member or healing a friend or provision, but there is a sign, there's a moment that you will have where you say, if Jesus could have just shown up like he's been in the past and like he's done it for others, I wouldn't be in this predicament. I wouldn't have this, these problems and these debts I'm working on. If you had just told me what to do, if you had been there and shown me. Well, Martha does something, though, very interesting right after she says this very weighty statement. She says, 
In verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That sounds right, doesn't it? That sounds good. That's like deep. It's like deep faith. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then right there, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And there she is giving good theology. She's actually repeating back to Jesus something he said in John 640, where he says that I should lose nothing, all that he's given me, but raise him up on the last day. She's repeating the words of Jesus. She's speaking scripture back to Jesus. She's saying things I know you would want to hear. This sounds like someone and sounds like someone with sound theology, but Jesus does not celebrate her faith. Notice what she does here and what she does here will be an impediment to your growth, an impediment to the depth you have with Jesus, an impediment to how much you know Jesus. She grieves, but then she quickly believes. She says the right thing. Martha is an A-type personality. She's one of these people that always say the right thing to get the right thing. Martha is giving nothing more than a spiritual platitude. Well, I know all things work together. Well, I know, Lord, I know you got a plan. Well, you know, Jesus is good. He's good all the time, and all the time he's good. So you know, I know, I know. Now, the key in observing this in the text is the phrase, I know. Have you ever talked to somebody that, you're trying to tell them something and you know they don't know? And you're like, hey, then I know. And you're like, you don't. You actually, you, actually, you, don't, you don't know. Notice that she repeats that. I know. He, I mean, in my mind's eye, it's as if he's saying, your brother were watching us. She's like, I know. He's like, no, I was, I was about to say, I'm about to resurrect him. Dag. <laughs> Do you know these people? Is that you? Amen. So Martha's a performer. And sometimes our faith is built on being more appealing to Jesus than being authentic with Jesus. So that's what we do. We say, Jesus, why weren't you there for me? But, but I know, I know, Jesus, I know, I know, I know things are going to work out. And, and Jesus, have you been working out? You look so good. You've been working out. You look good, Jesus. Anyway, so I, I'm a little sad, but I'm really good. I know you're amazing. You're amazing. And they just go into this, like, say the right thing theology. If I just say scripture and I just repeat things, I know I've heard my mama say this. I've heard people say, I'll just say all the right things. And Jesus presses in because he doesn't want to be impressed. He wants the real you. Well, he says to her, Martha, I am, verse 25, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She says the very right thing. 
But notice when Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Jesus is trying to say, I personally affect resurrection. I'm the one that provides life. There's a person who heals, essentially. There's a person who resurrects. I don't want you to just want bread. I have to tell you, I am the bread. What he's trying to move her beyond is doctrines of resurrection. And can you understand? I'm the resurrector. Martha, I don't want you to want things. I want you to want me. I don't want you to just want healing. I don't want you to just want theology. I want you to want me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Look at me. No, don't, don't impress me. Don't impress me. Look at me. Talk to me. I am the resurrection. Do you believe this? Me. He's pressing in. A true sign of trusting someone is letting them in to your confusion and your disappointment rather than performing, being confused. That shows beauty in a relationship. When you can say, I'm actually confused, I'm lost. And we see this incredible contrast because Mary comes on the scene. Eventually, word would get back and Mary would come out the house. And I want to show you what Mary does. In verse 32, now when Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she did something before she said something. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In the Greek, in the English, every word is literally the same thing Martha said. They said the same exact thing. But they did something radically different. Can you imagine that picture before she runs out there and before she starts impressing him with theology and before she starts stating all these platitudes, she just falls on her knees. She says the same thing, but she has a totally different posture. She doesn't go from grief to belief. She worships and then she weeps. She worships, and then she weeps, and she weeps, and she weeps. <laughs> Where were you? Why isn't this working out for me? And she doesn't move from that. She stays right there. And much of our beauty in worship Part of the beauty of knowing God is that you don't know him enough. Part of the beauty is that his display case isn't full yet in your life. That he's got so much more he wants to show you. And so you've got to tell him, I don't get this. 
And he's longing for you to be real with him because he made the real you. He created you. He made the real you. The world has you performing, but he wants the real you. He wants the, and he knows you. And he desires the fullness of your doubt and confusion. Because that's where you can learn more about him. And those who you've been couples, you got to know argument. And it was an argument with a capital A highlighted, you know, neon light argument. And if you work through it like mature Christians at the end of it, you loved each other more because you worked through it. And so that's what you've got to do. You, you weep and worship and you worship and you weep. And then building out this authentic space to know God more, to know the Christ. Look what happens in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, sovereign Jesus, the one that knew this was going to happen, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And we would think that the next thing would say, and the Lord healed Lazarus. But there's something we've got to discover about Jesus. It's the verse we all memorized, amen? <laughs> but it's probably the verse we need to know more. Jesus wept. Jesus weeps, and the, the Greek word for weeping for the mourners and weeping for uh, Mary is different than the word weep for Jesus, because the word weep for Jesus is a silent, quiet cry, not an outburst but silent and quiet. And in those silent tears, we ask, wait a minute. I thought you didn't move by sentimentality. I thought you moved by sovereignty. I thought you knew this was going to happen. I thought you were the one delayed. Are you the same Jesus that delayed? Are you the same Jesus that gave all those answers? Are you the same Jesus? Why are you crying when you know what you're about to do? We have to understand the heart of Jesus. Before he does the miracle, he was moved by the people. Before he did the miracle, he was even moved by Martha. What we have to know is that God is moved even when he doesn't make a move. When you don't see Jesus doing something, it doesn't mean it's not affecting him. You see, when you read this text and you see two days delayed, you think of a callousness because that's the category we understand. But could it be that his heart was moved when he saw her weeping? And he knew he'd be there and he knew that he would sit with her. 
your prayer life far too often is built out of saying and getting, saying and getting, saying and getting, not getting, being disappointed. Can you imagine a Jesus that weeps with you? Can you imagine a Jesus that is moved by you? That when you were in that moment of doubt and confusion, he was moved by that. That he does not live in this distant space, but he's intimate with you and watches you and sees you. That he's moved. He loved Martha enough to push past her platitudes and performance. That he loved Mary and cried before he did the miracle. And if this is true, then the miracle of the resurrection wasn't the only thing he put in the display case. Here, an attribute of Jesus we must see in this display case is the power of his intimacy when I don't see him. Because we're pressed for time, they actually go down to the tomb. And when they go down to the tomb, Jesus gets ready to do the miracle. And do you know what Martha says? Martha says, oh man, here comes my boy Lazarus out the tomb. No. Martha says, he been dead four days. It's about to stink up in here. Actually says it in the text. In the King James, it says, he stinketh. No, I'm saying that's where her brain was. Her brain was like, it's, no, don't, no, no, don't even do the stuff. Like, they're, he's about to radically change their lives. And Martha is like, are you ready for this smell, y'all? Because just get ready. Because four day, a body dead four days, I know, it's going to stink. She wasn't even prepared because she didn't have a category of what he would do. And I'm saying that God has brought some of you through 2020 and 2021. And you were like, what are you doing? You're trying to kill me. Like he really brought you through and he puts you in all types of situations. And you know what? Honestly, for some of you seasoned saints, you were like, I ain't never been here before. And that's the point. That's the point. That's the point. That's the point. You've never been here before. You've never seen God move like this before. You've never seen God respond like this before. You've never understood him in a new way. And when you are in a trial so deep that it seems like it is out of your mind, that it is out of control, it is because God is doing a whole new thing. And it will take five years, 10 years. But you will look back and go, ah. Because the end of the story, Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come out. And they see their brother bound up. And don't you know these women probably looked at each other and said, oh my gosh. It doesn't lead to death. But my glory, that's what he meant. Oh. 
in a whole new category. And for those of you that are deep in trial right now, trust him. But I don't mean trust him in a platitude, theological type way. I mean trust him in an authentic, angry, confused, come to him, fall to your feet, fall to your knees rather, and worship. See him for who he is and rest in him. Jesus is too good to be fake, amen? And he's done too much for us to give him something inauthentic. And so he longs for the real us. You'll never, you'll never imagine what he's doing. Your brain can't comprehend it. And so the only thing we got to do now is wait and see what his hand will do. But it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. When you see his plan, whoop, it'll blow your mind. But we're waiting on the Lord. Father, you're breaking through in faith on someone tonight. You're entering whole new categories in the minds of the saints. You are breaking barriers that were there. You're putting things in your display case that had not been there. You're showing up in a whole new way. You're taking us through seasons we could not have imagined. We're going into spaces we didn't see ourselves in. We're feeling feelings we haven't felt before and there's a weightiness sometimes we don't feel we can keep going. And yet, you push past us saying the right thing. And you long for us to just be with you. And so tonight, Lord, even when you don't move, when we don't see you move, you moved. You are moved deeply, God. We trust that you love us and you care for us. And it is the point at which we don't realize the love and the beauty of his love. It is the point at which we don't realize how deeply we are loved. That is when we lose our way. And so tonight, we recommit our love in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us on a cross. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.